You are listening to the sermon series, Follow. In this sermon, Pastor Dan Chung examines the gospel according to Luke, the identity of Jesus, and the cost of discipleship. The following is a presentation of LifeLight Church in San Francisco. For more information and other audio content, please visit LifeLightChurch.org. So we're in Luke chapter 22, verse 39 to 65. Uh, we're coming close to the end of the Luke. Uh, I think that we'll study Luke until the end of September. and October, we'll have a fresh new start. And um, we'll take a little break in between. Maybe I'd like to bring in a guest speakers and share a little bit and uh, until we dive into the next sermon series, which will be, are you ready? Minor Prophets. <laughs> Boring, right? Well, how many of you know anything about minor prophets? Anybody? I don't even know a whole lot about minor prophets. <laughs> I think that's the, there's a be, that's the best reason for us to dive into minor prophets. And what minor prophets would teach us is of our falling, about failures, how we have fallen short and God's new promise, which is all of us, everything in the minor prophets is going to lead us into who? Jesus. Jesus. So it's going to tie into the gospel as we look 400 years before Jesus came. What was it like? What did prophets say? What did God promise? How were the people like? How have people failed? And we get to really reflect on ourselves and reflect on God's promise. And we can think on it. What did it mean for Jesus to be do this and like this? And what did it mean for God's promise being fulfilled in Christ? So that's all going to be minor prophets. I believe there are seven prophets or more. <laughs> I don't want to say nine. Um, and all of them, uh, most of us probably haven't even heard. Uh, so it's going to be a lot of fun. But that's coming up, I think, after, probably start up next year, after the, because uh, we're going to the time of uh, season of Advent. Um, and maybe we got start before that. But that's what's coming up. So for now, we have uh, maybe six more weeks uh, in the Gospel of Luke. So let's go ahead and dive in in today's text. Verse 39. Verse 39. I read one verse and you read the next. Verse 39. He came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. Then he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, knelt down and prayed. Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel from heaven appeared to him and gave him strength. In his anguish he prayed more earnestly, and his soul became like great drops of blood falling down the ground. When he got up from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping because of grief. And he said to them, Why are you sleeping? Get up and pray that you may not while he was speaking, suddenly a crowd came, and the one called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him. When those who were around him saw what was coming, they asked, Lord, should we strike with a sword? But Jesus said, No more of this. And he touched his ear and healed him. Jesus said to the chief priests, the officers of the temple police, and the elders who had come to them, Have you come out with swords and clubs as if I were a bandit? 
When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me. But this is your hour and the power of darkness. When they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter said among them, But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. Man, I am not. <laughs> then about an hour later, still another another kept insisting. Surely this man was with, him, also was with him, for he is a Galilean. The Lord turned and looked at Peter, and Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him before the cock crows today, "You will deny me three times." Now the men who were holding Jesus began to mock him and beat him. They kept heaping many other insults on him. The word of the Lord. Let's pray real quick. Jesus, we hear these words, but help us not to simply hear them, but would your spirit speak to our hearts. May our hearts be convicted, may our mind understand, and as we reflect on your heart, and may that reflection change our hearts as we grieve, as we look on this story and be fall into sadness, may we be lifted up because this speaks of your love. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, we've all seen the movie, and uh, we all know the story, right? That's what had happened. There are three different scenes that's going on here. And it's going to continue on as we look on in a couple of weeks. But just try to imagine. Bring your imagination to, this, to the scenes in today's text. So first, the garden. I've been to the garden, or what they call it, was the place that Jesus sat and prayed. Imagine the garden, the rocks and trees. Right? Imagine what's happening. Jesus... In his last hour, this this is his last hour. He know, he knew that Judas has left to betray him. Right? This is his last hour before the arrest, and how he's urging his friends to stay awake, be with him, stay with me, pray, and the urgency that he's in, and how he's praying. And imagine Jesus praying with his knees knelt down in agony. Just crying out. Other gospels said he was crying out, crying and shouting in his prayer. And disciples probably eavesdropped and heard what the prayers were like. So try to bring your imagination there. Jesus in agony because he knows what's ahead of him, the road that he must travel. And think of disciples listening to Jesus in agony. And he says they fell asleep in, in grief. Because they're sad. They have heard what Jesus said. They don't completely understand. But they know something bad is going to happen. They hear their master crying out in prayer. And yet they can resist falling asleep. The sadness in the garden. And the prayer. So imagine that. Imagine and move on to the next scene. As Jesus tried to wake them up. Why can't you stay up and pray with me? The cry. The crowd emerges. 
And in the crowd is Judas, one of the twelve. And imagine the betrayal. Imagine the, how disciples might have felt when they saw Judas leading the crowd. Then wondering what is going to happen. Wondering what are we supposed to do. Some of them may be shrinking. Oh no. Some of them trying to come out boldly. Like in the scripture here said, where's the sword? Where's that two swords that we grabbed from the dinner? Imagine the crowd approaching and there's that hatefulness in the air. There's that violence in the air. And imagine Jesus just letting himself be taken away. And imagine the violence, the cutting of the ear, and Jesus stopping the person, and Jesus healing. How there's a violence at the same time, there's a healing by Jesus. And just Jesus just lets himself be taken away. Lets himself to be in chains. Probably disciples shouting, Master, teacher, don't let him take you away. Let them straight down. Let the angels come and strike them down. The confusion of the disciples. And maybe the terror. Like what is going to happen? When they see Jesus taken away. I don't believe Jesus was just taken away. Jesus taken, was getting beaten up as he was taken away. Dragged out. And imagine like if your disciples watching it. How you might have felt. Everybody ran. right? Everybody ran. Except the naked guy. That came. Everybody ran. Their struggle in their hearts as they're running, the shame, the guilt, and fear. So try to imagine the scene. As you've seen in the movies, it's not, a, it's not, it's not hard, right? Imagine Peter. Peter probably struggled. He struggled more because he didn't just run away, but he followed them from a distance. Probably in his heart, he's wondering, well, what can I possibly do by following? It's not like he's... Some kind of superhero who can rescue Jesus. Or does Jesus want to be rescued? I've already been called Satan by trying to convince Jesus to be rescued from this. The struggle within Peter. And Judas watching his friend, the teacher, his master for three years. Who was so close to him. Being taken away and wondering, what have I done? We're going to talk about Peter and Judas next week. Cover more on reflecting on them and and thinking and learning more about them. But imagine the arrest, the scene of arrest, the betrayal, the violence, the fear, the shame. And move on to the next scene and where Jesus is kept. Look at the guard. Think of the guards. Jesus is kept, chained, and guards playing games with him. And you can imagine these guards are they don't care what's going on. They don't care who Jesus was. They don't care what the orders were. They say here's a prisoner. Let's have fun with him. Beat him. They're bullies. They're bullying him. They want to play a game. They're saying, well, cover his eyes and let's play. We're going to hit him. And he, they strike Jesus and say, can you tell which one hit you? Because you say you are a prophet. Prophesy. Who struck you? And they're playing. They're beating him up. They're hurling insults at him. And so imagine Jesus just quiet. Taking it all in. Voluntarily. And next scene, we're going to we move on to the court where Jesus is in trial. But for today's text, imagine all of that. And one thing that comes out, one thing that we recognize in this text and the text before that is how utterly alone Jesus was. So I want to say three things about that. First, 
Jesus was alone. We covered this a uh, couple of weeks ago. At the dinner when he spoke, at the Last Supper when he spoke and unwrapped his gift and told the disciples what this was all about. None of them understood, right? And they started fighting about who's better, who's greater. The pride and Judas living betrayal. Jesus was alone at the dinner table, at the garden. Jesus, only, he only knew what was to happen. He was urging his friends to pray, but he was alone. Completely alone. At the arrest, everybody against him. The betrayal. Disciples are not understanding everything that he spoke about. The message of peace and acting up in violence. And the guards beating him. He's the only one. He's, and everyone else exercising the power or what it appears to be power. And even at this scene of Peter's denial, he's getting beat up, he's getting accused, and he looks at Peter, Peter denies Jesus. So, you can tell the picture is that Jesus is utterly alone. But it's not just that himself physically being alone, he's alone because of all the sin that is on display. All the sin, everything that was going on was sin. You know, the misunderstanding, the the greed and the pride of the disciples, um, the weakness, Peter's weakness as he denies Jesus, the betrayal of Judas, the guards bullying Jesus. What's come, what's to come is that the leaders exercising or perverting the justice or practice. This is all sin. This is what put Jesus to on the cross. It's not just theological you know, explanation of, oh, Jesus died on the cross, so whatever. And Jesus died for our sins. Jesus was on the cross because of the actual sin. Literally, the real sin. These were real people sinning against Jesus. Sin put Jesus on the cross. The real actions of sin. And secondly, Jesus had to be alone. And one of it speaks for the, the what needs to be done, the work that Jesus has to be done. No one else could do it. It was a task that was left unto him, and him alone could carry out this task. But also, in often cases, when there is this thing, like a case of accusation, where Jesus, as we'll see, is being accused as with uh, a blasphemy among the priests, but he will be, he, they will carry that on to the Roman uh, governor to accuse Jesus of rebelling against the Roman Empire, saying that he's the gods, the, the king of Jews. And when that happens, normally everyone and anybody who follows the rebel takes the same treatment, right? Gets caught and gets arrested and gets punished or dies, right? So Jesus, in his mind, is I need to be alone at this. Not only is it only task that I can carry, I cannot let any of the disciples fall with me. They need to survive this because there's a work for them to carry on when I'm done. So Jesus had to be alone. He initiated. He wanted to be alone. And that's the third point. He submitted to be alone. And we read in the scripture that it wasn't that. He voluntarily, he submitted himself to the cross. He wasn't pushed out. It wasn't involuntary. He volunteered to be submitted and he did it 
alone because he wanted it and he knew that it needed to be done alone. So we talked about a couple of weeks ago, are disciples ready? Are we ready? And we knew that disciples weren't ready. They knew completely nothing that was about to happen. They understood nothing of what's to come. They feared and they weren't ready. And we asked, I left you with a question, is Jesus ready for this? What do you think? Is Jesus ready? We see in the scene in the garden, he shrinks, right? The prayer and the agony. Why did Jesus all of a sudden shrink? Why do we witness Jesus discouraged and Jesus wrestling with his, what's to come for him? I think the theological, you know, most people will give the Sunday school answer is because, you know, his death would carry the full horror of the darkness, the God's punishment, God's forsaking him. And it's interesting, Jesus said, well, if, take this cup, may I not take this cup? And he talks about the cup, he refers to the cup, which is interesting because he also shares a cup, his blood as a sign of new covenant, this cup. And in the Old Testament, you look at it, the cup is repeated a lot in the Old Testament. For example, in Ezekiel, Chapter 23, verse 33 says, A cup of horror and desolation. Isaiah chapter 51, verse 17 says, The cup of his wrath. It's referred as a cup that carries the wrath of God. Who's going to take this cup? Jesus said, You, people in the uh, prophets, you will take, you will receive this cup of God's wrath. Speaking to Israelites. Jeremiah chapter 25, 15 says, The cup of wine of wrath. The wrath of God in the cup. So, you know, looking at this text, reflecting the heart of God, you know, I wanted to come out and share with you the simple, um, what can we get out of this, right? How can we make this practical? The prayer of Jesus, how we need to pray like Jesus, and how Jesus prayed, and all of that, and, but, and, and to speak about the love of God, and... <clears throat> I realized I can't tell you about the love of God. We can't reflect on the love of God without reflect on the wrath of God. Did you know that in the Bible there's more, much more uh, reference to the wrath of God than the love of God? There's a whole lot more. It's not even comparable. So a lot more on the wrath of God than the love of God. And the, what it says in the Bible is that God hates there's evil doors and different words, but essentially God hates sinners. And it says over and over, God hates sinners. So what we understand as, well, don't hate the, you know, hate the sin, but don't hate the sinners. It says God hates sinners. And all of us are going to be studying the uh, Psalms with the Bible study. And Psalm has probably the greater, better, best example of that, how God feels about sin and sinners. And you hear it as we go through it. Psalm chapter 5 verse 5 says, You hate all evildoers. Psalm chapter 11 verse 4 to 5 says, His soul hates lovers of violence. Chapter 7 verse 11, God is a righteous judge and a God who has indignation, wrath, every day. God hates sinners. He has wrath every day. It's not like love every day. <laughs> And there's a reason why we say His mercy is new every day. Because there's a wrath every day. Wrath of God every day. 
for the sin that we commit. For as we are sinners. And it goes on in different in all the prophets and through the New Testament. Hosea chapter 9 verse 15 says, Every evil of theirs began at Gilgal. Speaking to the event. There I came to hate them. We think of God as God who is loving. But did you ever think of God as God who hates? God hates sinners. I came to hate them because of the wickedness of their deeds. I will drive them out of my house. I will love them no more. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 6 says, Let no one deceive you with empty words, saying like, God is love and everything's okay. You know, God hates sin, but not sinners. Everyone's good. You know, you know I'm pretty good in heart. You know, and if you get to know the person, he's, he's a good person. But the Bible says, we're all sinners. It says, do not, no one deceive you with empty words. For because by these things, the wrath of God comes on those who are disobedient. All of us who are disobedient, all of us who wandered away. God hates those who are disobedient. Colossians chapter 3 verse 5 to 6. Put to death, therefore, whatever is in you is earthly. Fornication, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming on those who are disobedient. We need to ponder on the wrath of God before we ponder on the love of God. The wrath of God is there every day. And part of it is this passive wrath of God. There's active wrath of God which many of us don't receive. We receive the passive wrath of God. And do you know what that is? That's God just letting you destroy yourself and destroy others. That's His passive wrath. It's, I'm not going to just, just gonna let you go. You know, uh, I think of like, you, you think of father and uh, parent and child. When you're, you know, there's like a, you watch a movie and say, oh, you know, I was a pretty good father. Did I ever tell you to go to sleep? Did I ever tell you to not do anything? Did I ever tell you to, you know, stop playing video games? Did I, I didn't do that. I just let you do anything that you wanted to do. I was a pretty good father. And you just, I can't remember where that movie was. I think it was comedy of some sort. Indiana Jones. Indiana Jones, yes. <laughs> to Indiana, I said, I left you alone. I left you alone. You exercise your freedom. That's not love. That is the opposite of love, right? The love keeps the person in bond. So the passive wrath of God is just letting you be. And for some of us, and I think all of us know this, or sense this, you know, um, some of us who came to Christ or has not come to Christ, what stops you, what has stopped you is, if I submit myself to God, He's not going to let me get away with things. And I can tell you, God doesn't let me get away. <laughs> if I did something, He'll let me know. And He'll bring the consequences to me. If He loves you. And part of that is we fear that. Because we want to get away. But loving God, would let you know when you have fallen, when you are hurting yourself, when you are hurting others, you say, nah, I'm going to let you know what you've done, so you stop doing it. The passive breath of God is just, go ahead, destroy yourself, and destroy others. The breath of God, God hates sinners, 
And you know what that means? Is it, God hates you. God hated you. And this is, I don't know if there are any church that you hear, hear anybody say that, but God hated you or hate you. God hates sinners. God hates those around you, your friends, your family members. God hates you. God hates them. Because God hates sinners. And His wrath is on them every day. And for eternity, I mean, read Revelation chapter 14, verse 9 through 10. It said, Then another angel, a third, followed them, crying with a loud voice, Those who worship the beast and its image, and receive a mark on their foreheads or on their hands, they will also drink the wine of God's wrath, poured unmixed into the cup of His anger, and they will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels, in the presence of the Lamb. Wrath of Jesus. In eternity. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. That's the wrath of God. And Jesus, you think about stress. Why is he so stressed? Why all of that? And it really says that physicians say there are rare occasions where you actually, under great stress, sweat blood. And Jesus, so imagine what was Jesus feeling? And what he's doing, he's receiving, he's getting ready to receive the wrath of God all in one cup. His own cup that he has drink. He's looking to take the wrath of God. You think about how would you feel and how would you respond. Would you not say what Jesus said here? Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Right? Is there, are you sure there isn't any other way? But whether ready or not, I think the one thing that we take away from this, whether we are ready or not, whether Jesus is ready or not, He was obedient. He knew what needed to be done. And Jesus believed and knew that He alone must go into the darkness. He alone is the light against the sins that are so evident around Him. So He says, Yet not my will, but yours be done. So let's talk about the love of God. The Romans chapter 3 verse 23 to 25 says, Since all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, they are now justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a sacrifice of atonement by His blood, effective through faith. It's the cross. Cross embodies the wrath of God and love of God. It's a mystery, right? Cross holds the wrath of God. All of wrath of God pulled out, put out into one man. And yet, it's the love of God. And, you know, there's some way to say this, but it says the, the greatest wrath is when God turned his back. You know, as a parent, one thing I can't imagine is turning my back to my child who is being tormented, who is being persecuted, who is dying. God turns his back away. So we say, there is no greater love than what we see on the cross. So Jesus, on his way to the cross, he takes the wrath of God and 
you know, let us walk away reflecting on the heart of God. That God hates sinners. God hated you. God hates you. God hates those who sin. But because of Jesus, He loves you. It's a mystery. I mean, we cannot get into the theological understanding, interpretation of how that works. But we know that Jesus was put on the cross because of real sin. And He took on the wrath of God. And because of Jesus, God who hates sinners, hates us now, loves us. So, um, I want to invite all of us to reflect on that. The wrath of God and the love of God. Think of Jesus. Think of the wrath of God that was prepared for you, but Jesus took away. And what it means to receive that Jesus. And in doing so, receiving the love of God. The man of sorrow, Jesus, who hate, from God who hates sin, takes it upon himself. And now, God loves us. And the cross has shown the, both the rest of God and the love of God. Let me pray. And <coughs> I want to invite you to take that the full meaning as we break the cup, to break the bread and drink the cup. God, help us to be honest with our hearts, with ourselves. Help us by your, the power of your Spirit to receive fully what it means that you hate sinners. But because of Jesus, you love us. Help us to embrace the love who overcame the this concludes our presentation. For more information and other audio content, please visit lifelightchurch.org.